You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. A couple of years ago, a study came out that showed that the average American family put more than a thousand dollars on their credit cards over the Christmas season. And it took them up to eight months to pay it off. If you put Christmas on a credit card, you know, there's got to be a better, cheaper way than financing it at 19 or 20% or more. Instead, why don't you go ahead and get rid of that credit card debt just like that. And we can make it happen for you at savewithconrad.com. Now, right now, the average interest rate on a credit card in America is over 19 or 20%. And if you go to savewithconrad.com, we can help you get rid of all of it. But maybe best of all, we're going to get you a better deal on your current mortgage. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. And what they do with that savings, well, it's up to you. But what if you dumped it on the mortgage? Imagine how much faster you could pay your house off and get completely debt free. We routinely help our listeners save 50, 60, 70, even $80,000 worth of unnecessary interest. If you're serious about keeping more of your own money and getting out of debt, well, make life a little easier and go to savewithconrad.com. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. Even credit scores in the 500s can be approved. And if we can't save you some cash, we won't waste your time. Maybe best of all, though, no house payments for two months. And that's going to come in handy right here during the holidays. You won't make a house payment in January or February. You're done until March 1st. And come March 1st, you'll have a better mortgage. NMLS number 65084, Equal Housing Lender. Get started now. We're licensed in more than 40 states, including yours, at SaveWithConrad.com. Thompson, and you're listening to Arn right here on Westwood One. And of course, the master of ceremonies, the man of the hour, is the Hall of Famer himself, the founder of the Four Horsemen, the Enforcer, Double A, Arn Anderson. Arn, how are you, man? Conrad, I am tremendous. You know that. I'm sitting here after that build up with my chest all bowed out. Feels pretty good. You setting me up like that. Well, I tell you, we got a lot of great feedback about Starcast or. Apologies. Look at me. Starcade 1985 last week. Tons of folks talking about that episode. They say it's our best episode yet. What say you? Well, hey, I'm I'm tickled to death that everyone's enjoying it. You know, it's everything is relative. You know, if it were getting better, 
that was my goal from the beginning. Like I said, I started from ground zero. So I appreciate everybody, you know, sticking with us and passing the word. And, uh, man, I know I'm having a good time. Well, we are too. And we hope you guys are enjoying what we're doing. If you are hit the subscribe button, leave us a five-star review. If you think we've earned it, tell a friend and don't forget to pick up a t-shirt. Of course, we're over at pro wrestling tees, or you can go to orangeshirts.com. This week, we're doing a Q and a episode, just like we do every other week. And you can, you can use hashtag ask Arn anything or ask Arnie thing if you'd like. And, uh, we've got tons of questions this week. There's no way we'll get to them all, but I'm excited for this one. Arn, are you ready? Yes, sir. Now late to the nitro party writes, what is your favorite spine buster moment? Well, it's gotta be the undertaker. Doesn't get any better than that. Was it WrestleMania? What was the number? You're the man. Oh, that'd be 18 in, uh, Canada. That's correct. That would be the one, uh, he would have been one of those guys on the short list of guys that I didn't get to work with. I would have loved to have had like a program or a couple of matches or even one match with that guy. I mean, he is iconic. I mean, he is the undertaker and the feedback I get from a lot of people is they remember that as well. So, I mean, it really was a special moment. Wow. You know, I didn't really think about that, but as long as you were wrestling and as long as he was wrestling, I guess I just sort of assumed you guys had a match, but you never had a match with the undertaker. No, sir. Uh, interesting question here. Late to the night, your party again. He says, did you ever have to get rough with an enhancement talent who wasn't listening or taking direction? I feel like I know the answer to this one. Um, to the degree that I just had to take over the match. Yes. And I don't think it was a guy trying to be a smart ass. I just think guys had came to TV with no experience. They were a nervous wreck. They just kind of locked down on you and you couldn't move them. You couldn't put them anywhere. You couldn't do anything with them. And you know, there's a lot of young, <laughs> strong, tough guys out there that are real green. And, uh, I never took a liberty with anybody in the ring, but there was times when I had stuff in my mind to try to do for them a little later in the match. Because if you gave a guy something, when everybody in the audience is not expecting him to get anything, now it goes from just being a squash to something a little bit interesting. Oh, God, I didn't expect to see that. Well, maybe we'll see something else. And it becomes a better viewing experience. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I don't know names and I don't remember exact situations, but there were a few deals where, where I think guys just locked down and, and got nervous and kind of went back to their roots. Let's talk about, uh, Will Tyner. He says, what's Arn's opinion of gentleman, Chris Adams. Almost everybody does a super kick nowadays. and he gets very little credit on bringing it to pro wrestling. I never understood why he didn't reach WCW until 1997 when he could have been a big star for Crockett in the eighties. What can you tell us about gentleman, Chris Adams? You know, I don't really have any experience with Chris. I may have met him once or twice. Uh, never was near a, a match with him or anything like that. I did watch him on the Dallas television, obviously with the Von Erics and he had a very prominent role there. You know, in those days, baby faces that got over strong 
could stay in a territory for a long, long time. And I'm pretty sure he spent most of his career in Dallas working with the Von Erichs and all the angles that they shot off of that. But the one thing I did appreciate was that super kick looked legit, was legit, and he made it legit. It, it wasn't something that you kick a guy in the chin with and it just stands him up. That was it. Decapitation, match over. I think a lot of guys today should take that lead and see what you can make a, a super kick, which I think is a decapitation. It's a finish. When it's done right, that should be the end of the road. But make it a bigger move. Let's talk about Gary Blind's question. He writes in, when you watch a wrestler for the first time, what are you looking for? Confidence. Um, is he relaxed in the ring? Does he look like, and at least in his mind, that he feels like he belongs there? Because that may be an intangible thing to a lot of people, but your match starts when you come through the curtain. That's where your match actually starts. And I can tell looking at a guy, what's going on in his head? Is he winning? Is he losing? Is he comfortable in his own skin? Is he comfortable? Is he comfortable? being on television does he look like he is focused does he look like he's going to a fight all those things you can tell about a guy on his entrance and making his way to the ring and and for me that's where your match starts and by the time you step through the ropes i think the audience looks at you and goes hmm may have something here or this guy's going to get flattened and a lot of times they're right Interesting question from the goddamn candy man. He writes in, did you ever have an offer to wrestle for the AWA? And do you have any great Greg Gagne stories? Never was, uh, never considered going up there. Um, they were kind of on the, it was just, they were on the way out. To be honest with you. By the time we got rolling and I was with Crockett, AWA was on the way out, and um, I met Vern uh, when we ran the co-op show, which I think was in the Meadowlands, and I couldn't tell you what year it was, but we ran a combined show with him, and um, Greg, of course, came down and was a uh, agent for WCW for a while. I worked with him some down there in that capacity. But no, I never considered going up there, and uh, no one ever came to me about going up there. Of course, Greg would be a big part of WCW for a long time behind the scenes. Any interaction with Greg in WCW that is worth mentioning? Uh, just, you know, we're kind of cut from the same cloth. It was, you know, Greg, the difference was Greg was ownership. His dad owned the company which I'm sure afforded him a lot of uh, um, advantages. Never having to go anywhere is one. You know, you don't have to leave when your dad owns the company. He was there for a long time, got established with their audience over a period of time. Um, nothing, there was no interaction as far as any negatives with Greg. We kind of shared the same era in the business, even though he started before I did. So, I mean, I always got along fine with Greg. Uh, I never had any issues from working there before and feeling like 
I was taken advantage of as a talent or anything like that. So we had no issues. Let's talk about, um, I can't believe this is a real question, but we got tons of these and it's about you being an agent of the matches in which you were an agent, which finish or moment are you most proud of? I feel like you've talked about WrestleMania 20 a lot with the three-way with Benoit and Sean and Hunter. Let's pivot to something else. Is there another match or moment or finish that you're particularly proud of? Hmm. Let's let's think about that a little bit. Come back to it. Sure, absolutely. Be glad to. Uh, Thinking Man Sports writes: If Tully did join you in WCW slash the NWA in late '89, early '90, how do you think things would have played out differently for you, Tully, and Rick long term? Well, I think it would have had a totally different look if we came back in the door riding the wave of, you know, because we were treated pretty well with WWF. We weren't abused. Um, I think we still had some luster, obviously. And so did at that time, Jim heard apparently, or they wouldn't have agreed to bring us back. Um, I feel like we could have picked up right where we left off because we were both healthy. We were both, you know, we were never better than we were at that point together because now we had diversified and wrestled probably every top team on earth at that time, by that time. Uh, So Tully and I were great. You know, if you had combined us with Rick, and I don't know if Ole would have wanted to come into the mix or not. But it would have been uh, just adding Tully Blanchard to your talent list beefs it up any way you want to look at it. Interesting question here from Stephen Fry. He says, with Cedric Alexander and Scott Dawson in the WWE, Tessa Blanchard and Impact, Big Swole in AEW, uh, Caleb Conley in the NWA, plus a whole lot more on the indies, could you give your opinion on George South as a trainer? And do you have any good George South stories? No, the, just that George has been around forever. He's a trooper, man. He's a he's a guy that has been in the business since probably at least as long as I have. And you would know the answer to this question. Maybe longer. I mean, I started in 82. Do you know when George started? Oh, it's got to be around the same era, right? I would think so, because I remember him coming to TV and working with George, you know, when I'd been in the business three years, and George was already polished. George is one of those guys, he's like Mike Jackson, you know. He can still have a great match with somebody, which is amazing. I don't think he's not as old as Mike Jackson, obviously, but that's the name that comes to mind. I mean, you, you look at Mike Jackson, who's 70 years old and still having good matches. It blows my mind. Uh, and George, he's a, I think he's a good trainer in the fact that he's a good person. He's a good human being. You know, he knows that you have to have basics before you start all this other stuff and this flip flop and fly generation. But if you don't have the mechanics and the basics of just being able to wrestle, it's hard to just go out there and just start running high spots. And I think George is in tune with that. That's what he teaches. And, uh, I think he'd be a great trainer for a guy or a kid that is just now getting started or a young lady for that matter. 
we should mention George started in December of 82. So we were right. Same sort of era. Rodney Graves, big fan of the show writes Would Gino Hernandez have made a good member of the four horsemen. You got to think if you saw any world-class, he was sort of cut from the same cloth. Was he not? He would have been a perfect fit from what I see from television. Now don't know Gino met him one time when he and Tully, um, came over to do a shot for the Superdome big show while I was there for Watts. So I met him that one time along with Tully, the one time. And, uh, I mean, from what I saw on TV, he had me convinced. I mean, he was, he was vintage horseman. I think. Rodney also asked any good Ron Simmons stories, Ron Simmons, a guy who Rick Flair has famously told the story. Uh, that Ron self-proclaimed himself as unfuck withable. Uh, what, what do you remember about Ron? Any good questions or stories about Ron? Yeah. I mean, that's exactly right. Nobody, nobody messed with Ron Simmons. He was a beast, probably a beast to this day. I mean, his, his amateur collegiate football background, when you're up, like, I think he was third in the voting for the Heisman and he was a defensive lineman for God's sakes. That's how incredible he was. And I've said before, I've never felt so helpless than when Ron Simmons would shoot you in and hit you with a power slam. I felt like a baby in his arms. I mean, he was just so explosive and so powerful and such a gentleman. I mean, you never knew Ron was in the room unless you looked up and saw him. He wasn't walking around the, the real badasses in this business, and he's one of them. They don't walk around barking. You don't even know they're there until something happens, and now you know they're there in spades. Because he is, brother, he is a all-man. He's a businessman. He's a gentleman. And he's an ass-kicker. I think that probably covers it. But he's and just a pleasant person to be around. I just saw him a while back at your StarCast in sure. uh, Baltimore. Yeah, Absolutely. Truly a professional, easy to do business with. Can't recommend him enough. Um, Dr. Truth writes in one of my favorite wrestlers of all time is Arn Anderson. In fact, you're the reason I started watching wrestling who are one of your favorite wrestlers. We haven't really talked about that a lot, but who are your favorite wrestlers growing up? Well, I think I've said before that Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. are the ones that, that really, tipped it my way as far as okay now you're not a fan in your mind you want to figure out a way to do this because there's just something about those guys as a team i looked at the business differently than i'd ever looked before i just saw the excitement that they were creating from their side of the ball you know it it went from okay, the good guys are knocking these guys all over the place. And then I went, hey, wait a minute. I think these good, the bad guys are putting themselves in a position to make these good guys look phenomenal. And once that light comes on for you, that's kind of your first step of being in the business because that's exactly the way the business is laid out and should be laid out. As a heel, you have a job, and it's to make everybody in that ring, including the referee, look like they know what they're doing. Uh, Bob Armstrong, obviously, because he was a local 
you know, hero from just up the road in Marietta, Georgia. Just, I mean, he was another guy that inspired me. Rocky Johnson with that physique. First time I saw him, I almost fell down. I never seen a body like that. <clears throat> That's pretty much the guys that, that got my attention early on. Uh, Jim Lee master writes in, do you think you will ever write another book? Your career has been so fascinating. I'm sure it would be a bestseller. Uh, I've been asked that a bunch too. Um, not sure. Maybe if I feel like I've got enough stories on, you know, on the backside since I wrote the last one, which I think I probably do. That would, uh, be an interesting read. The main thing is I don't want anybody to finish it and shut the book and go, wow, that was the shits. <laughs> <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, so yeah, maybe I would consider talking about it with somebody and possibly at some point. Lee Parker writes in Haku, bad news, Harley bar fight. Who wins? I'm a firm believer, even as tough as Harley was, there ain't a man alive that when Ming was, oh gosh, 35 years old, I guess, <clears throat> he would probably kill an entire state of people. I mean, the whole state. <laughs> and it wouldn't be Rhode Island. I'm talking about probably Texas, California, somebody, he, he like he's in a league of his own. Uh, Ralph, uh, Lasowski writes in, in interviews on TV, you would state that Barry Wyndham was content with a woman, a fast car and money on the podcast. You've stated he never worked out. Did anyone ever try to motivate Barry to be better? In my opinion, he should have been the all time greatest. What say you? Well, there were no holes. I mean, it's not like Barry at the 25 minute mark would be out of gas. Or Barry would go to suplex you and couldn't pick you up because he wasn't strong enough. Going to the gym <clears throat> is what all of us did to enhance our careers, put some longevity into our career. Just just do, you know, go lift weights just because it's the thing to do. And, it, and it's the only way you can really protect yourself and protect your opponent. Barry was just one of those guys that God gifted. He could go 60 minutes, never draw a deep breath. He could superplex animal off the top rope, never look like he was in danger of dropping him bad, drop him completely flat, muscle him over. Barry Wyndham was just one of those guys that had all the tools and it was God given. It wasn't anything he built in the gym or Anything like that. It just, God just waved his wand and said, Hey, you're going to be one of those rare cats that can do anything you want in this business. And he could. Andy C writes in, what are your thoughts on the WWF's old big blue cage? When you were used to the traditional cage of the NWA? I was never a fan of the big blue cage. It, uh, it just wasn't that menacing. And it, it just, it just, I like the bright, shiny, menacing, sparkling cage that had the very small slots instead of the big slots, like right. the blue one. Um, <clears throat> to me, it was just two different animals. What did you think about Hell in a Cell? <clears throat> I thought I was glad I wasn't in there. 
<laughs> because the things I've seen and and the um, effort that the talent has put into all those Hell in the Cell matches, and it's like an honor to be booked in a Hell in the Cell. But then again, it's <clears throat> career shortening, very dangerous. And you get to a point that, you know, after Cactus, Mick Foley came off, you know, off that top of that cage and then went through the cage. You thought, how are you going to top that? Well, Shane, Shane McMahon pretty much at least equaled it, which I didn't think was possible. And I'm just thinking back to <clears throat> my career, and I don't care who it was, as much as I respected every booker and owner and promoter that I worked for and gave me the opportunity to make a living, you know, <clears throat> had someone told me or even suggested that I climb up the side of this thing, stand on the top and get chunked off through a table, I'd still be belly laughing. Not happening. No chance, not even a discussion about it. I think the guys took risks that are will never probably be appreciated, but once you go off the top of that cage, you better hope that you pushed off with the right torque, that you didn't overshoot it or undershoot it, because, buddy, if you didn't hit that thing pretty much in the middle, you were in for a long, long recovery, and uh, not my cup of tea. I like to stand on the ground and draw money. Well, and if you're looking to hit that thing in the middle, we should remind you that this episode is brought to you by BlueChew.com. Guys, remember the days when you were always ready to go? Well, now you can increase your performance and get that extra confidence in bed. Listen up. BlueChew.com. That's blue like the color blue. As a reminder, Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as both Viagra and Cialis. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill, so you can be ready whenever an opportunity arises. If you can benefit from more confidence where it counts, BlueChew.com is the fast and easy way to enhance your performance. Of course, Blue Chew is prescribed online by licensed physicians, so you don't have to go to the doctor's office or wait in line at the pharmacy and it ships right to your door, all in a discreet package, by the way, they're made right here in the USA. And since blue chew prepares and ships direct, they're cheaper than a pharmacy and maybe best of all, no more awkwardness right now. We've got a special deal for our listeners. Just visit bluechew.com and you get your first shipment for free when you use our special promo code ARN, A-R-N. You'll just pay $5 shipping. One more time, that's B-L-U-E-C-H-E-W, BlueChew.com. The promo code is ARN to try it for free. BlueChew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the podcast. And I'm sure everywhere you go, people are talking to you about BlueChew.com. Are they not? Well, yeah, and, you know, one of my favorite T-shirts that's out there that says Arrive, Spinebuster, leave <laughs> that says it all folks now if you're in one of those relationships that you've been with your significant other for a while after you do hit that blue chew spine buster 
they'll be just fine with you leaving. If you're a new couple, they may not let you leave for days, weeks, months. Who knows? Everybody's different. One thing about it, Blue Chew is the way to go. Absolutely. Check it out, bluechew.com. Use our promo code ARN and get your first shipment for free. Uh, Savo the Savior writes in, who is your favorite and least favorite horseman tag team partner? Well, Tully's always going to be alongside Ole. There will be probably share that um, distinction. I don't know if they feel the same way, but I feel like Tully and I were the best team in the world at one time. I feel like Ole and I were a good, solid team. And I learned a lot from him at that point in my career. It was very important to get the things that he offered as far as credibility and no wasted motion and storytelling and all the things that that Ole brought to the table. Um, Least favorite, I don't want to put anybody in that distinction. I mean, it's pretty obvious the ones that didn't work out and and the whys, and I've talked about what it took to be a horseman and how unselfish you got to be and you got to be single-minded that your job is to go out and create something you know, with the good guys on the other side. And if the audience didn't care about them, it's your job to make them care about them. And um, no reason to single out any one person. I'm sure most of the audience have their least favorite and most favorite, but we'll just leave it there. Uh, Dismal Abysmal writes in, when it's all said and done, does Arn consider himself a tag team wrestler or solo act? I think I prefer tags. I enjoy tags. My thought process kind of goes towards tags and teamwork and cool ways to set up the opponents where we suck them into a trap and they're screwed. It just, my mind thinks that way. And uh, not that I don't enjoy a good single match with uh, the right opponent, but I'd prefer to be uh, in a tag match, usually 99% of the time. John Jennings writes in, are wrestling boots comfortable? They look like a miserable piece of footwear. Do they have any traction at all? It feels like you could slip on spilled beer outside on the floor. Just the opposite. Wrestling boots provide ankle support, which, buddy, it don't take nothing to roll an ankle. You know, how many times you've been walking down the street, playing grab ass with your girlfriend or yak in or on your cell phone or whatever the case may be and step off a curb you didn't know was there, you see how easy it is to roll an ankle and how painful it is and how bad the injury can be. It doesn't take anything. Now you're talking about going over the top rope to the floor and landing on concrete back in the day and all those type deals. Wrestling boots were what saved a lot of people, and uh, I'm one of them. Unless you've had them on, you know, and you laced up tight, it's almost like a cliche, but it's absolutely the truth. Lace those things up tight, and they will help protect your legs. Uh, the impression that you have is is altogether the opposite of what it really is. I don't know how guys could possibly be working in tennis shoes myself. I don't know how they don't break their ankles or blow out their knees. or you know, Knee pads are another part of gear that I don't see how a guy works without them, but that's just me. And it may be part of it, me mental, but I think a lot of it is a very real 
protectorate as far as protecting yourself from getting injured. Chris writes in, since you were seen as road agent and had a relationship with him, why don't you think other talent liked him? Of course, Chris is asking about the rumor and innuendo. And he also follows up who complained the most about Cena. Do you remember any talent having a real issue with, uh, with John? Well, I'm sure, you know, in their own world and in a different group of people, I'm sure everybody, because he was the guy, he was the chosen one. He was the guy that was the face of the company and worked his way up to, to the top baby face slot. And I'm sure, you know, everybody on the roster had some animosity to that. It wasn't something that they said to me because I was pretty much friends with everybody. <clears throat> Could they have said it to me and it wouldn't have went any further? Absolutely. And there were things that were said, you know. <clears throat> wasn't my place to have an opinion. I, my job was to make every guy that I was assigned their match that day better than what they were the day before. And that's it. And it wasn't to protect John or it wasn't to go behind John's back and you know, when I was in another group of top guys and, and say something derogatory, but I think the talent all knew they could speak their mind, say what they want to say around me. And it didn't go anywhere because it wasn't my job to even have an opinion about that. Um, my job was to make everybody better. And, and that's what I tried to do. Jim Lee master writes in who would be on your Mount Rushmore of stiffest guys you ever worked with. The hardest I ever got hit was by George the Giant, by God. El Gigante. <laughs> and I don't think it was because he was a horse. You can't put him in the class with John, with Ron Simmons or Haku or any of those guys or, you know, Rick Steiner, you know, the Steiner brothers, any of those guys. But Rick, we were in a six-man tag one night. I want to say, I'm not sure if it was Baltimore or Philadelphia or something. He was in there with the giant and, uh, you know, he's working around and bouncing off of him or something. And I don't think Rick was conniving enough to do this. Maybe he was, but, uh, he slapped El Gigante on the back. And I mean, he cracked him, which is the kind of stuff is like his chops. That's just what he did. Well, the rib was, he went over and tagged me. And what I was stepping into is I didn't know that he had hurt him. Not injured him, but stung the shit out of him and pissed him off. So when I stepped in, I started walking towards him, and I'm going to try to, to, to give him a little spot here. I don't even remember what the spot was. But just out of nowhere, he clotheslined me hit me partially in the chin, partially in the chest, partially in the neck. And I never felt anything like that. He was in a rage and I didn't even know it because <clears throat> Rick had hurt him. So we get back to the locker room and, and I go, Hey, uh, uh, George, what the hell was that all about? So he looks at me. What? I said, the clothesline in the chin, dipshit. That's what. He goes, Rick hurt me. I said, well, knock Rick's head off, not mine. What in the hell? 
that's the hardest I ever got potatoed in the ring. And that's an unlikely source, but that's a fact. Uh, Tran Rail writes in worst traveling nightmares while on the road. Of course, you've spent more than half your life on the road. Surely there's got to be a fun story here or there. Well, you know, the nightmares aren't fun. You know, when you've flown back from uh, Thailand and you get to L.A. and you're supposed to have a four-hour layover, which is just enough time to clear customs, recheck your bags, sit down, have an American meal, make your way to your gate. That's not too bad. But when you have a mechanical and that four hours turns into nine hours after you've already been on, you know, like a uh, 18-hour flight or whatever it was to get you to L.A., then you have that mechanical where you're stuck in the airport all that time. Now you're still facing a five-hour flight from L.A. after all that to Washington, D.C. I'm with Ricky Steamboat on this trip, and it stands out as the worst horror ever. By the time we land in Washington, D.C., my back, low back, is just shot. I'm humped over. I'm locked down. I am sweating from the pain. It's about 5 o'clock in the morning. In D.C., we get our bags. Man, I'm hurting. I just want to lay down in the floor or somewhere and try to get my back stretched out. Anything to give me some relief. We walk out. There's nobody. There's no activity whatsoever in the airport. So here comes the rent-a-car bus, and it's, it's Ricky, myself, a few other guys, and the bus just goes by us. The guy never even looks up. Mm. Now I'm boiling. I start. I'm thinking, should I go back in and call again for the for the bus? No, I'm just going to stand here. So it's got to be one minute. I see another bus coming. This guy's looking down, and I, I'm I'm figured out. He don't see us, but we're the only things there that he could have seen. There's no humanity anywhere. He's not slowing down. He's probably fifty yards away. This was probably ignorant, but hey, I was desperate. I just stepped out in the middle of the road, put my hand up, like, whoa. Thank God the guy looked up, slams on the brakes, comes skidding up, doors open. I walk in, the guy's on his cell phone. I go, what the, you know, what, what's the deal, dude? I mean, you know, you'll be the second one that passed us up if I hadn't got out here. Oh, I was making a phone call was his response. I don't know how good the promo was that I caught on him. You could probably get it out of steamboat because I don't remember word for word, but I cut a pretty scathing promo on this guy. So we totaled it up. We finally get to our car. We get to the hotel, which is kind of close to the airport. Ricky and I would, would always time our trips from the minute we would leave our hotel on the, the starting end to when we got where we were going on the other end. And that was the length of the trip. That one was 34 hours. Oh, my. If you 
if you've ever flown in a combination of sitting on chairs in the airport, plastic chairs that aren't very comfortable, if you've ever done something that involved 34 hours, you know what I'm talking about. Most horrifying thing I've ever experienced in my life. Dude, that's the worst. Unbelievable. Oh, um, I don't know if there's anything to this, but I do want to ask about David Miller's question. He says, in your opinion, is, is there a chance that wrestling could go back to the territory system? In my opinion, that's when wrestling was at its greatest. Is there anyone around now who you think would have been a leader in one of the territories? Hmm. I think Cody Rhodes has leadership skills. Um, that's a tricky question. One thing, let me answer part A first. It'll never go back to territories where you're running seven days a week, I don't think. I think if we can have the current number of companies that we have now, and if those guys will at least work Friday, Saturday, and Sunday where you're going to have an audience and then do your television wherever you're going to do it during the week, guys will get enough experience and they'll get enough reps that you'll start to see the work rate pick up. The mistakes will start to become smaller and less obvious and I'm not knocking anybody's work or anything the the guys today and the ladies today do some of the most incredible things I couldn't have even imagined when I was sitting down to put a match together in my head some of the stuff they do today it's just the athletic part of it is just unbelievable just it floors me it's like how do you ever even consider thinking up something like that uh, but I don't think it'll ever go to a full-time scenario where, like it was. Because you got to remember, guys, our listeners, which could be ladies, I hope are, are listening. It was seven days a week, week after week after week. There was no such thing as a day off in the 80s. Then we got to the 90s. WCW was a much more relaxed schedule. But back in the territory days... Seven days a week. I mean, you might. Re- I wrestled in '86, 335 days in 1986. That's not times because Saturday was a double shot, Sunday was a double shot. A lot of weeks, so you got to add those extra couple of matches in there. Um. So, what was part B of that? Who would have been really, really strong in the developmental system, like? Not developmental, but territories. Like, what does Cesaro have excelled? Ah, you, you name Cody Rhodes. Is there somebody else? Leadership. Now you're talking leadership, or you're talking about just what guy would have flourished in during that time? There you go. What guy would have flourished in the territory system? Um, I'm pretty sure a guy like uh, Bobby Roode would have did well. Uh, for sure, a guy like Undertaker would have been your 
he would have been your lead guy. Top guy. Yeah. You know, Steve Austin, obviously these would be guys that would be leading just like they did. And like Taker continues to do, you know, they would be your figurehead of your company and they would be your go-to guy. Um, this hangman page a year from now, asked me the same question. I think this guy is getting better each week. Chris Jericho's doing a good job of being your lead heel on, on AEW. And, uh, you know, he's not trying to be a cool heel. He's trying to be a, you know, a very unlikable guy. And that, that's well, what you have to do. Hang on. You say he's being not trying to be a cool heel, but he's also in the middle of a promo, pulling out a bottle of wine saying, Oh, a little bottle of bubbly. Come on. What? <clears throat> Conrad, come on. I know you, you swim in some, some high dollar circles. Is the wino in the room usually the cool guy? <laughs> no. Really? Really? No. Or is he just the guy that we always have to get a drive home for? Yeah. You know? There you go. Okay. You win. No, I don't think, I don't know if there's a winner or a loser, but I just know, you know, there's cool hills and there's hills that want to be hills. And uh, I think so far, Chris has done a good job with that. And, uh, because Hey, to move where you were part with WWE, he was part of a huge collective group of talent sure. that were the best in the world. You know, Vince has been assembling an all-star team now since the eighties, obviously, you know, it's everyone's dream to go to New York. And, uh, so he's had the best to choose from. Chris went from being in that environment and doing well in that environment to moving to a smaller environment where you have less notoriety with the guys that are here and you could go either way. You know, you could either just say, Hey, I'm going to be a guy that's bringing a hell of a lot of good baggage with me and good exposure with me. And I'm just going to stay on top. I'm just going to outshine these guys because I got more experience and I know how, or you can be that guy that's going to be your heel champion and your leader and his jobs to make everybody on that roster. And so far I haven't seen any, any indication that that's not what's in Chris's mind. Uh, for better or worse, when Jericho was a part of WWE, he was most recently a part of the mid card. You know, he had a, match with Kevin Owens at WrestleMania that, uh, didn't exactly go on last sort of the same thing with Fandango a few years ago where Fandango got the win, not exactly the high point of Jericho's career in WWE. Now he's the top guy with AEW. How much of the allure of being back where he feels like he belongs as the top guy. Do you think AEW was to Jericho? You know him better than we do. Does he feel justified? Is that what you're saying? Well, I just wonder, you know, when, when he, when he sees, Hey, we're on third or whatever the case may be. I mean, this is a guy who main invented WrestleMania against triple H for the world title. The first undisputed champion I mean, had a tremendous feud with everyone in wrestling from Shawn Michaels on down the line. And now, you know, he finds himself not exactly as the top guy in presentation or match placement. But then when AEW pops up, sure, it's, it's fewer dates and it's significant money. So that's all attractive. But do you think positioning in as far as the way he's presented on TV was of any significance to Jericho in 2019? 
Yeah, I think you know if if you don't want to be the top heel or top baby face, depending on who you are and what you are in a given company, or you don't want to be the champion, what are you in the business for? If you don't want to be the very top player on either side of the ball, you know, I, I don't know anyone in sports that goes, hey, you know what? I want to go out there and win a red ribbon. Right. It's, it's, uh, you know, WrestleMania, there's, there's a couple of spots and you got to look at the reality of it. And trust me, I've lived the reality of it. You either want to be on first or you want to be on last. Right. The problem with being on last is you've had people that have been literally sitting in that crowd for eight hours. Yeah. And I don't care how great the match that's booked. I don't care who the talent are. The crowd is very tired when you get to that main event. And, you know, the professionals that work for that company and are put on last, it's because the company, that's how they feel about them, that, that they're main event players. But, buddy, if you go out and sit in the crowd and watch those last couple of matches, as long as that show has become, the people are just beat, and they're they're leaving. You know, I've, I've been out in the crowd and seen them streaming out when the main event was going in. And you talk about disheartening. Be in the ring and have that happen to you. And, no, and this is before the bell ever rang. All right. I've se- seen it. That ought to tell you you're doing something wrong and something big time wrong. Um, so anyway, Chris was positioned somewhere, you know, second, third, whatever the deal may be. And I think he was told, you know, by the boss that that was the worst WrestleMania match that he's ever seen. Yeah. You're referencing the Chris, uh, or, or the, uh, the Kevin Owens match. The rumor yeah, I, in innuendo is that he didn't tell Jericho that, but he told Kevin Owens when he came through the curtain, that's the worst WrestleMania match he'd ever seen. When you heard that, what'd you think? I mean, don't you think that's a bit much? Of course it is. That's it's not even close to being true. I mean, I don't, you know, but the thing about it is here's where the hurtful part comes in. You take a talent that you're pushing and you're putting over all your other talent and you tell a guy that coming through the curtain, you know, at WrestleMania day, it just destroys him. It destroys his confidence. You dip into his manhood. You know, you have him second guessing everything that he has learned up until that point in time. Now he's going, well, God, I, I thought I knew what I was doing. I don't know anything. And it just... You just destroy a guy internally when you tell him, and it's not the truth. That's the problem, you know, that I have with it. It's not accurate. Man, I can't help but feel like, you know, a couple of weeks ago, we had an an NASCAR and anything and asked you to tell me a funny Vince McMahon story and, or if you had any, and, and you took a long pregnant pause and he said, no. And now you're telling this story from your point of view, your perspective about Jericho and Kevin Owens. I get the impression that you're not sort of aligned with Vince McMahon's vision of professional wrestling. Is that fair to say? 
No, no, it, it, it's, it depends on what day it is because the switch is day to day. And not, not your you know, opinion, but his, his view on wrestling, right? Is that what you mean? Yeah. His view switches day to day. Um, you know, it's, it's like, this is a, this is a black shirt today. Yes, sir. Okay. I got it tomorrow. That black shirt may be orange, but he's still saying it's a black shirt. It just changes. It just, you know, it, it's like trying to keep up with the da- the daily pet peeves, things he doesn't like, you know, what is, you know, what today is, what is the no-no, all those things. But he's the boss. It is his playground. We were just, every one of us are just passing through, make no mistake. And I knew that from the very beginning. The day they hired me, I knew that I was going to be fired. It was just a question of fill in the date because that's the way it is. And, uh, you know, you're like a ice cold Coca-Cola that's floating in a, you know, a, a cooler, you know, full of ice on a hot day. And you open that thing up and man, it burns going down. It tastes good. And I'm talking about a real Coke, but when you work for WWE, once that can's empty, at least in his mind, squash it, throw it away. My goodness. Uh, Chris Gibson writes in, does Aaron have any Klondike bill stories he could share? No, I just, uh, you know, he was on the ring crew when I first got to, uh, to Charlotte in 85 and, uh, I really didn't get to know Bill that much. He was a generation ahead of me. I always a gentleman, always nice to the guys. The guys were always respectful of him. And, and again, it was a different business. It was a different generation. We all knew that this guy had, you know, put in the miles and, and now he was putting up the ring and, uh, making sure we were all safe and, and a nice, safe, well-constructed ring. And we were all appreciative of that. And that didn't get lost on the real pros, you know, that's something that I doubt very seriously. If anybody working for any company today, that's out there, if the talent at the end of the day or the, or the beginning of the day, go and thank the guys that put the ring up because one mistake at top rope breaks or, or a board flops, your career can be over. And those guys have our safety in mind and, and they're one of the safety nets that help protect us. And they should be recognized for the job they do, whether it's the referees or they have a separate crew of guys to set the, you know, the ring up, whoever that may be. I just think they should be commended and thanked for putting up a safe, healthy work environment. We should mention great friend of the show. My friend and yours, Charles Robinson has not only been a referee on TV, but he's been a part of that ring crew since the beginning of his WWE run. It's quite remarkable how hard those guys work. I mean, a lot of times they go into the arena the day before to start setting things up. Uh, I really do feel like they're like the, uh, the unsung heroes of professional wrestling. Wouldn't you agree? You bet I do. And, uh, Charles is a great referee. He's a great human being. He's a good friend of mine as well. Matter of fact, he just lives down the road, probably three, four miles. Um, but those guys, after they get the ring up and they have to use local guys, so you don't know what you're going to get. 
you know, from that pool of people, are they going to be lazy? Or are they going to be, you know, uh, hard to get along with? Are they going to make mistakes? Are they not going to pay attention? But that's your help when you get to these local markets for like live events and stuff. And, uh, you know, they they really supervise that stuff and uh, and make sure that it's all done properly. And then they may have four matches to do that night on top of that. Then they got to tear down at the end of the night and then travel because you got to be there early for the next day. This is a very difficult business that I don't think, you know, most people would believe if you did tell them this, like I just kind of laid it out. That's, there's nothing like having that kind of day and then having to tear down and have a 300 mile drive. And that's, no big deal in our business. That's what we do. We're traveling gypsies. But, buddy, everybody that works in this business put some hours in. Make no mistake. Efren writes in, have you talked to Howard Finkel lately? Any good Finkel stories? No, I haven't talked to Howard. I haven't seen Howard. I, I saw uh, a picture of him somewhere, and I, I, I don't remember where but he had talent around him i'm thinking it might have been maybe the last uh where they have the old timers and legends on the show might have been that show it was maybe it was a backstage shot or something had a sweet beard zz zz top style that he'd grown out had never seen that version of howard before but the guy's a friggin' genius he's Facts, figures, you can ask Howard anything. He's uh yeah, he's just a he's just a walking encyclopedia. Big extra writes in, and this is an interesting question for a lot of reasons. Hey Arn, how'd you feel about Triple H inducting Ric Flair into the Hall of Fame? I felt like it should have been you doing the honors for Rick. You were side by side for all of your career and most of Rick's. What say you? Well, I mean I'm that's one of those things that uh, Rick and I were friends for a long time. And, uh, you know, when when we both came to work here, um, when the company was bought, you know, my job went on a different trajectory as far as Rick and uh, what his day looked like. Uh, it was completely different. I know him and Hunter, you know go a long way back and and hunter is very for the guys that helped him when he first started getting you know started and getting in the business and stuff he's very loyal to those guys he remembers the steve regals the terry taylors the rick flares and uh and he took care of rick and uh which i'm fine with that and you know, that was a good choice to put Rick in, I think. I think it was a marquee choice. Thank you for the kind words. I've heard that many times. Uh, Hall of Fame is one of those things that it's it's only as important as the person, number one, views it in their head, the recipient of being put in. And the even more important thing about being in the Hall of Fame is – how are you received? How is that received by the fans? Because the fans either make it real or just some honor that they bestow on you and add you to the show. 
the reaction of the fans tell you if you truly are a Hall of Famer or not because they let you know how you entertained them, how much you entertained them, how long you entertained them, and how they feel about you on that night just by their response. And uh, I hope everyone out there knows how much we appreciate it and appreciate them and realize that everything we do, we do with the fans in mind. It's interesting to say that, uh, or to hear that you, you feel like triple H took care of rig, because I feel like a lot of times for better or worse, you've been painted in that same deal where, you know, for whatever reason you were, were positioned as one of triple H's guys. But I feel like the way you just explained that, maybe not so much. Well, no, I was a talent. You know, talent and agents have two different relationships entirely with the office and with the other guys. You know, you can be a former talent, but once you step into that role, it's something entirely different. And, uh, you know, I was never a guy that, that followed, you know, Triple H around at TV, just trying to get on his good side. I was never one of those guys that stayed in Vince's office trying to get on his good side. I truly felt like I was hired to do the job as a agent slash producer because of my knowledge, my wisdom, my maturity, the fact that I'd already done that job with WCW against some pretty stout odds with the personalities that worked there. Um, and I looked at that as I was there to do my job. You know, you can be friends with the talent and still do your job. And I know there's a lot of people on their inner circle that would say that's not possible. Bullshit. It is possible. You just got to be honest and you just got to tell the truth. That's how you become friends with the talent and still be able to do your job. But you got to, your first job is to take care of the show and protect the company. Second job is to protect the talent, make sure everybody's safe, everybody's doing all the right things that they should. And it shouldn't be this far down the list, but it's just a reality. Then you got to make sure there's a hell of a show out there that the audience that paid feel justified in the fact that they paid to see this show. But you got to protect the talent, you got to protect the company, you got to make sure the talent's not doing stupid shit, you got to make sure that the fans aren't putting the talent in jeopardy. Very difficult job and do a lot of traveling. And you're the first one there and you're the last one to leave. And uh, there can be some really rotten weather, different parts of the country, um, some of the worst lightning, thunderstorms, torrential rain in Texas that you've ever imagined. You can't even see, but you still got 330 miles to drive after that show. You can't wait till the next day and just hope that it blows over. You got to try to make that trip. And there's a lot of danger out there. And it's a, it's just a miracle. There haven't been more wrecks, um, in the business with guys making long drives and, and ridiculous drives through, you know, mountains and you name it. Um, it's, it's a dangerous, difficult job. And, uh, most people just don't know that. 
one of the wrecks in wrestling this last week or two, at least from my perspective, I think it was last Monday, they announced that the NWO was going in the hall of fame and they were inducting Hulk Hogan. who will be a two-time hall of famer, Scott Hall, Kevin Nash, Sean Waltman, all of which will be two-time hall of famers, not on the list of inductees for the NWO was Eric Bischoff. Were you surprised to see that Eric wasn't going in with the rest of the NWO? Not really. Not really. Um, how many members ultimately were there of the NWO? It just feels like the guy who created it, you know, maybe ought to be in it. Maybe that's just me. Well, you got to kind of look at the events as of late where Eric was concerned. No doubt. If you, if you look at that as being anything other than look at it on face value, it is exactly what it was. And we've talked about that before. Uh, I did see Dave a couple weeks ago in Louisville at uh, the Comic-Con that we were attending. I came up in catering. I saw him sitting there with his back to me, came up, hugged his neck, had a nice conversation with Dave. Uh, I am very happy for him going into the Hall of Fame. Kudos. Dave was always a perfect gentleman, pleasure to work with, and uh, I'm very happy that he is going in the Hall of Fame. He's he's one of the good guys in the biz. Very well deserved. You know, whether you were a big Evolution fan or not, his contributions to the business as a tag guy, as a singles guy, as a member of a faction can't be denied. And then the tremendous success he enjoyed outside of wrestling, you know, with the entire, uh, the whole Hollywood run from guardians of the galaxy and the James Bond franchise. It's really remarkable what he's been able to do. Absolutely. Something else we've talked about on the show that I know you didn't exactly love Dave Batista going into the hall of fame. And, uh, the only other time he's come up on the show, well, there's a shirt about it. Orange You can see the pecker checking shirt there and Arn point seeing as big as your balls. If your balls are as big as your mouth since 1982, the old human hat rack, uh, every dog does not have its day, which I have it on good authority. One of the agents in WWE got a real kick out of toot toot, uh, a member of the, uh, revival, our great friend of the show, Mr. Dawson recently wore arrive spine buster leave. And allegedly it might be popping up on a TV show sometime soon, but the latest and greatest t-shirt that we've, uh, broke out over at orange is a disco ball that is shattering. And it says Marty Lundy style. And you can uh, assume that the other missing word is motherfucker. What do you think of the, uh, the disco ball shirt on? That's gotta be right up your alley, huh? Very entertaining. (laughs) The guy that is assisting you and putting these together. If in fact there is an assistant should be commended as well as yourself. The story behind all those shirts is so cool. You know, it takes you for just a second to look at it and realize what you just saw. It's so ahead of the times. I can't tell you. I'm, I'm so thrilled, you know, about the creativity that go into these shirts. Have, never having had one my entire career and now to have these coming out, man, is just, it's entertaining me. I'm sitting here popping, looking at the shirts. 
process what he just said, boys and girls. If you're a big Arn Anderson fan, he never had a shirt until ArnShirts.com. If you were ever an Arn Anderson shirt, you should certainly pick one up for yourself or a loved one and get it just in time for Christmas. Maybe a little uh, after Christmas stocking stuff or ArnShirts.com. Uh, let's end on an interesting question here from John Osborne. I don't know how much you want to get into here, but John writes in, what's your relationship like with the nature boy, Ric Flair these days? Have you guys ever had a legit falling out? So let me just say this in the business, you know, you're lucky if when you're done, you can look on your hand and, and count the number of true friends you have on one hand. If you can do that, if you've got five friends that you can really call friends, you've had a successful career. But being friends doesn't mean you have to talk on the phone all the time and uh, do something together, go to dinner every week and all that. Rick and I had a very, very good relationship when I was wrestling and we were on the road together and we had the same thought process and we were heading towards the same goals. Once you step over into the office, you have a different schedule. And my schedule was completely different. My job duties was completely different. Expectations on me were completely different. It was just a whole different life. And uh, Rick has since went his way. As far as the business goes, I have went my way. I don't think there's any dissension. There's no nothing negative about it. It's just sometimes people grow apart, and uh, that's pretty much what happened, and it's more of a out of necessity because we are going separate ways that uh, we don't see or talk. Um but for a very long time, I will say that I had a very good friend, and that's the way I will look at it, taking it to my grave. Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning. You and I are friends, but it's not like we're hanging out every week. We have a great time here on the show, and when we do get a chance to catch up, it's it's like we just pick up where we left off. But that doesn't mean we're not close. It just means we're busy and grown men and got shit going on. That's it. And we're all just trying to make a living still. And not for you. You're making about six livings. Oh, my God. Listen to me. You whatever you are. But Rick and I are still trying to, you know, live a nice lifestyle and, you know, do some nice things. I'm, You know, I'm a guy who likes to travel. I like going to Aruba for a week at a time and all that stuff and going buying a new truck occasionally about every 10, 12 years. So, you know, we're just – you go whichever way the money takes you. And uh, right now, it's uh, he has a separate journey. I have a separate journey, and you're right. You and I are, have become good friends, and I appreciate what you do for this podcast because without you, I wouldn't be here, and uh, I'm much appreciative. Well, and without our listeners, nobody would be here. We appreciate you guys tuning in this week and every week. Tell a friend, Aaron Anderson has a podcast it's the best new wrestling podcast around, and it's absolutely free. Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a five-star review if you think we've earned it. And don't forget to tell a friend to follow us on Twitter, and you should too. It's at The Arn Show. Coming up next week, we're going to revisit, and this is a fun anniversary here, man. Arn Anderson leaving the World Wrestling Federation, coming back to WCW, and he's going to come back just in time for Starcade. 
I almost said Starcast again. Starcade 1989. Not the best show in the world, but he's back just in time. And it's an interesting show because they're going to ask Sting to join the Horseman at the end of the show. Stay tuned next week. We can't wait to cover why he went back, what all happened on his way back, uh, what led to the, the, the contract, why Tully wasn't there, the big moment with Sting. So much meat on the bone next week and every week right here on Arn, only on Westwood One. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round. Together, it's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.